Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at ArmorAll.com. ArmorAll, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The world is waiting, waiting for new thinking, for bold ideas that embrace a globally connected community, working together to create a better future for all. And that future, it can be found here at UC Riverside. Bold hearts, brilliant minds. It's the Autosport Podcast. We discuss Sebastian Vettel's British Grand Prix victory and ask what went wrong for Mercedes. Sebastian Vettel denied home hero Lewis Hamilton victory in the British Grand Prix with a superb drive, passing Valtteri Bottas along the way. But did Mercedes make a mistake by leaving Bottas out on older rubber when the safety car hit? Or should I say, safety cars? I'm your host, Ed Straw, and joining me to look back at the British Grand Prix, first is Ben Anderson. Now, Ben, for once, we're not doing a podcast perched in the corner of a a guesthouse room or near a plug on the roof or next to horses we're actually in auto sports offices in richmond plush offices air conditioning no horses outside to disagree with scott mitchell so i think we're all set for a fine podcast i tell you what, we would do really well to have the horse that disagrees with me intervene in this podcast i mean it'd be really difficult to get him up the stairs or in the lift into into autosport hq in richmond you were going to set up a, a Twitter handle for the horse that disagrees with Scott Mitchell, weren't you, Ed? That's my How's plan. That progressing? I suspect I'll never get around to doing it, but I just thought it'd be great to create the Twitter account, the horse that disagrees with Scott Mitchell, and just every time you tweet something, it says no. I, there, there isn't a single Twitter account that exists that does that, but I think Twitter as a collective does tend to disagree with me on everything I do at some point. That's fair enough. That's what Twitter's all for. I should add to those who didn't listen to our post-Austrian Grand Prix podcast, there was a horse that had a had a rant at Scott Mitchell while he was uh, complaining about Mercedes strategy. So that's what we're talking about. We haven't completely lost uh, lost all sense. 
let's actually look at the British Grand Prix. Now, Ben, when Marcus Ericsson crashed while the leaders were starting the 33rd lap, triggered a safety car. That time, Bottas was tracking Vettel, seemingly much better shaped tyre-wise, but Mercedes ordered him to do the opposite of the Ferrari driver. Led to him staying out, attempting to run to the end on ageing mediums against Vettel on fresh softs. Now, given Bottas ended up finishing fourth after being passed by Vettel, among others, was Mercedes wrong? Well, if you look at Valtteri Bottas's result, you would say yes. But what else were they supposed to do if they wanted to win the race? It looked like a, a, a gamble, but a gamble worth taking. Bottas, as you say, was tracking Vettel. And I think under normal conditions, without a safety car, Vettel probably would have run into trouble with his tyres and Bottas could have jumped him at the stops. But as the race eventually played out, Ferrari got a free pit stop under the safety car. It seemed like the only way Mercedes could beat him was gamble on leaving Bottas out and hope that he could hold on. Uh, because had Bottas pitted as well, they'd have both been on fresh tyres for the final stint of the race, that kind of equalises or neutralises the race, in my opinion. So for Bottas, unlucky, of course, again, because I think in normal conditions he had a sniff of victory, but it seemed like the best way to play it. And ultimately, he only came a few laps short of doing it. For me, the disappointing thing is that that strategy was obviously was obviously done to win the race. And Bottas did such a good job in the first half of that little sprint at the end to, to do everything he needed to do to make it happen two superb restarts but really really very good then a really aggressive defense then he covered Vettel twice on the run down to Brooklands had it all under control and then regardless of whether I think the strategy is right or wrong and regardless of whether Bottas as he put it was driving on ice because he'd used his tires I I can't excuse the lack of a defense into Brooklands that ultimately gave Vettel the lead. I feel like it was probably inevitable, but when you've done that strategy specifically to risk a worse result in pursuit of the win, I feel like you should do absolutely everything all the while you're in front to stay in front. And I just don't see how, given he had a wobble out of turn four, given he knew that Vettel had DRS and he'd attack there, not the previous two laps, but before then, I just don't see how Vettel was able to surprise him into Brooklands. Bottas was in a tricky situation because he was struggling with the tyres and he was probably thinking, well, if I defend, I'm going to be compromised out of left field, be vulnerable. So that may have been part of it. But I think he just did not believe Vettel was going to go. That was that was the misjudgment he made. And I think Vettel realised. That's a misjudgment, isn't it? Because Vettel had had a stab previously. So you know that you're vulnerable, and particularly into that corner. You just defend the inside line there at all costs. You feel like if that was another drive, if that was Verstappen, there's no way Vettel's getting past him that easily. I'd agree with that. But bear in mind, Bottas did then lose positions at Brooklands in subsequent laps. So yes, I do agree with you, Scott. But I think at the worst, that delayed the outcome because I don't think he was in a position to, to do much about it. No, I agree it delayed the outcome, but that's the point. Like you, When you're in yeah. that position, you've sacrificed no, you've sacrificed a simple run to second to win. So do everything you can to win. Yeah, and delay it as long as possible because also every lap you delay it, the drivers behind, their tyres go off that bit more. As Vettel acknowledged after the race, he had to get the move done because the longer he spent behind Bottas, the less chance he had of overtaking him. And the point about Raikkonen and, and Hamilton being able to breeze past is they had a better run out of out of the corner. So it was, it was harder for him to defend. I can excuse that. The problem I had is that Vettel was able to exit turn four and then go through, what is it? It's the left-hand Zane tree, isn't it? Onto the Wellington yeah. straight. And he was like, okay, I'm not as close as I want to be, but... I think, I think I can see where I'm going to be at the end of the straight. Vettel said that. He said, you've got to imagine where you're going to be at the end of the straight. And I knew, 
I had a run. He So there was this wobble that basically meant that even though they weren't as close coming out the corner, they were going to be closer by the end of the straight than they were previous laps. Vettel was able to judge that and Bottas wasn't. And I, I just... Yeah, it's it's a it's a misjudgment. I don't. I'm not as angry about it as I was at the time when I thought this is inexplicable. How is he not <laughs> defended? But I, ju- I I still think it was, uh, as Ben says, a, a misjudgment, and and he is at fault for losing it at that point. It's a shame, isn't it? Really, because Bottas had done so well up to that point and looked like he was doing a really good job of defending the lead, com- compared to China earlier this season, where it looked like he didn't really put up much of a fight. So. To me, it looked like, oh, yes, is Bottas learning, progressing, really getting his elbows out. And then all of a sudden, he goes to sleep and Vettel's past him. The unseen concern I've got about Bottas is he was only on tyres that were four laps older than Hamilton's, the mediums. And yet Hamilton was standing up much, much better in terms of pace in those closing stages. There's also a tyre management question there. Yes, Bottas was starting to turn the screw on Vettel before the safety cars, but yeah, I just wonder where that, that management came in. So I think maybe with a bit bit better management combined with a more robust defence, it could have could have changed the outcome. But on the on the Mercedes strategy question, as you said, Ben, yes they were incorrect, but the question is, was it a justified gamble? At least in this one. In Austria, they drove past the pit entry. All that was ever going to do was cost them a load of trap position. There was no upside. In this one they they took an aggressive approach. Actually, they told both drivers to do the opposite. So if, if Vettel had stayed out, Bottas would have pitted to try and attack on fresher rubber. It was always likely Vettel was going to pit. They did actually gain track position and a shot. So, yeah, it didn't work, but... It was the right. It, it, it was, was justified right to have. Well, it, well especially like for Hamilton it, uh, because he he ended well, up. Well, Ham- Hamilton was in a different second, situation because if he pitted, he'd have dropped back to fifth. Yeah, um, ahead only of Daniel Ricciardo who had that missed time pit stop. So overall yeah. for Mercedes, it was a. If you take the collective result, it was the right decision, wasn't it? Because they ended up with two four when they probably would have ended up with two five. They could could well have ended up with two three had Bottas stayed out, but it's about whether it was justified or not. So that that's the that's the big question. And and it's this was not a strategy blunder like some of the other ones we've seen this year. Yeah, I don't think it was a strategy blunder. I think, and I also think they probably locked themselves into it as soon as they said to Bottas do the opposite of what the Ferrari does. So even if it's kind, of, it's an interesting justification there because part of me wonders whether or not their preference was to take the free pit stop, but they know that because they're behind and they need to do something different to win. They they've got to do that and and they've locked themselves into it by telling Valtteri you know do do what Vettel doesn't basically. Um, for for me the other the the other element is uh, I feel like they might have downplayed uh, sorry overplayed the significance of track position at Silverstone where you do have very powerful DRS zones long straights after uh, obviously down the um, hangar straight you've got a fast sequence so less so there but especially down the Wellington straight you've got a, a, a big traction zone out of the loop where that new tyre advantage is going to be big as well, so it's going to put him under a lot of pressure. And may, maybe they sort of thought that track position was going to be more of a more of a factor than, than it actually proved to be, but obviously that's difficult to say, and it's easy to say in hindsight. Yeah, I suppose also they'll be looking at the previous week's events and trying to learn from them, won't they? And they saw how gambling, if you like, or doing the opposite to the leading car worked for their rivals in the previous race. So in this race, it probably made sense for them to go for it and see if they could pull it off. They probably maybe also factored in the strength of the Ferrari engine. It seemed that Ferrari had an edge on the straight. So if you're behind them, even if you've got, say, uh, the tyre factor is neutralised because they're both on they're both on fresh rubber, if they've both done a stop, Bottas isn't really going to make an impression on Vettel because he's got the, the power advantage to defend more easily. I think the other thing we should say is it was a very, very good pass by Vettel. Yeah, it was. As, yeah. as well as being a little bit 
dozy by by Bottas. I think Vettel knew felt he needed to kind of launch a bit of an ambush in order to do it. So it's 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 good from him that that's what he needed to do to to win the race. But Scott, one of the big defining moments of the race, Kimi Raikkonen's ill-fated attempt to pass Hamilton into turn three on the first lap. Ten second penalty for Raikkonen. What do you make of that? Well, was it deliberate or was it incompetence? I think that was the the question Ooh. jokingly posed, wasn't it, by by Mercedes or at yeah at in within Mercedes during the race, according to Toto Wolf. Um, it was just clumsy, wasn't it? It was just uh, it it was a valid sort of position for Kimi to be in. Lewis gave him plenty of room. He locked the inside front, and unfortunately, that was all she wrote. It was very very similar to Vettel on on Bottas, but I think. On this occasion, um, un- unlike in France, I think uh, Kimi was just—it was just a small. It was a very small misjudgment while racing, whereas Vettel's was more of a big misjudgment while trying to back out of something. I think this was more of a genuine attempt at first for, from from Kimi that just just went wrong. If anything, it was Mercedes' own fault, wasn't it? Because Hamilton made a bad start, Bottas got up the inside that forced Hamilton wide and delayed him out of turn one, and that gave Kimi the run that he needed to challenge into into turn three so maybe they need to look inwards rather than outwards but as Scott says it was it was really just that lockup from Kimi that small lockup just sent him into Lewis didn't it without that they probably get through that that corner fine together and the race plays out completely differently and I think anybody trying to seize on the conspiracy theories and think Kimi Raikkonen did that deliberately are barking so far up the wrong tree well as Christian Horner said in his post-race debrief Kimi's not that kind of driver he said he'd be amazed if that was a deliberate ploy that echoes the old football thing of when there's a bad tackle he's not that kind of player but Kimi Raikkonen really isn't I mean when's the last time you can think of Raikkonen doing something like that there's there are cases but there are with everyone but it's yeah he's he's not a he's not a dirty driver by any stretch of the imagination and he and he held up his hands afterwards didn't he He said I made the mistake and I deserve the penalty and a lot of drivers don't do that so that almost all of them don't do that exactly and that tells you the kind of driver that Raikkonen is or sportsman at least I felt that Vettel made a good point in the press conference after the race when he said that he for one couldn't judge it that well if it was going to be deliberate he wouldn't be able to get it that inch perfect you know if Kimi did that on purpose what a brilliant move that was it's like BTCC wasn't it where you just give them enough of a contact to spin them round, but you don't do enough damage on your car to ruin your race remember the, the one example we've got of a known deliberate crash Nelson Piquet at uh, Singapore in 2008 when he just aimed to just loop it and uh gently nudge into the wall and he just overdid it looped it around smashed it into the wall which wasn't the which wasn't the plan it's not an easy thing to do so yeah no it was a, it was a a move by Raikkonen he's he's clearly trying to be aggressive I've been critical of him at times for not being aggressive enough so it was good he saw an opportunity went for it drivers make mistakes they've all done it Bottas has done it Hamilton's done it and, that, done it. and soon enough there'll be an incident where a Mercedes takes out a Ferrari and then it won't be a, a conspiracy. No, it, it's He's been quite racy really the last couple, hasn't he, Right, yeah, like, I saw him really go for Hamilton at turn three in Austria on the first lap, trying to take the lead, and again at Silverstone. Okay, he hasn't pulled the moves off, but you know it shows he's interested. For those who think he's just kind of coasting towards retirement, he's still giving it everything, even if he's not quite pulling it off. It's almost as if there's some other driver somewhere else in the field with Ferrari links putting pressure <laughs> on his on his drive. But let's, let's see. Can we keep doing that? It's good because he had the pace at Silverstone to be a, a serious factor. But actually connected to that, Ben, Silverstone's been a, a bogey track for Ferrari in recent years. It's its least competitive track the previous two seasons based on, on relative pace. So regardless of what happened in the race, it's quite significant that they were so competitive, wasn't it? Mercedes went to that race, they wouldn't say in public, but Mercedes went to Silverstone expecting not to win at a canter, but to have a nice cushion and be able to 
probably with a normal, straightforward, okay weekend, come away with victory. Yeah, well, if you look at the 2017 race, Hamilton was on pole by more than half a second and he absolutely dominated the race. Fry weren't even close. And that kind of form, although not to that extreme, translated through the rest of the season. Fry was strong on the low-speed tracks, Hungary, Singapore, but on the higher downforce venues, uh, Suzuka, Austin, they struggled. And I think this is a really good omen for Ferrari because they were so close to taking pole position from Lewis. He needed probably the most special lap of his career. He was physically shaking, wasn't he, after that qualifying run in Q3 on Saturday. Well, and had Vettel found time on his second run, he didn't perform, He didn't improve on his second Q3 attempt, then maybe it could have gone back to pole to Ferrari. It's- and even Raikkonen, who had the fastest first and third sectors, you know, but for a slight tentative moment into Brooklands, he could have been on pole. So I think that was really unexpected for Mercedes. And the good thing for Ferrari is if they can translate that, literally their worst track of not just last season, but the season before, through the rest of the campaign, they're going to put Mercedes under a lot of pressure on many more tracks through the rest of the calendar than they did last season. And, and they were close in the title fight until, obviously, the Singapore disaster last season. So, yeah, really, really important weekend, I think, for Ferrari. Mercedes is aware that the patterns, this is what Wolf keeps referring to, the patterns of last season, they don't really exist anymore. I mean, we've had, okay, Mercedes' what weakest weekend was this season was still Monaco, uh, pace-wise, but still on the podium there. So you don't have those obvious swings that we had last year. And... Vettel said after the race that what was encouraging was that, that Ferrari did bring new bits here. They did respond. Obviously, it wasn't a direct response. They'd had this plan for for a while, but Merck had their new car bits in Austria, made a step there. They looked really quick, even though obviously they imploded in the race. Ferrari had their bits at Silverstone. They worked. They obviously worked really well because, as you pointed out, it's a circuit they haven't been particularly strong at relative to Mercedes in, in, in recent seasons. So, Bodes very well for Ferrari, I think, the rest of the season, as, as Ben says. Um, and it's a bit of a, it's another one of those wake-up calls for Mercedes. They, they, they need to, they really need to start turning these their strong weekends in, into good results because at the moment they're not maximising their opportunities, and that and that could come to bite them by the end of the year. It was interesting to see, well, to hear Lewis Hamilton's comments after qualifying. He said Ferrari has found something like three tenths here. That's that's the number he puts on it. People tend to pluck these numbers from from nowhere, but they had the upgraded floor which is clearly performing well for, for Ferrari, and that's that's moved them into place. But I think the, the big thing we're seeing in this, this fight is regardless of the car performance, they're both bringing car performance, Mercedes and Ferrari. Ferrari has been the better team this year in terms of its execution trackside, you'd have to say, and that's the, that's the concern for Mercedes, that they go to Austria, they have an, a decent advantage there, and then, and then implode, but... Ferrari goes to Silverstone, not a fancy circuit. They've got a sniff of a chance, and yeah, various things happen in the race, but it's Ferrari that comes away with uh, with the win. But then Ferrari have also thrown some points away. Vettel hitting Bottas in France well, that's didn't not, do his that's, tally that's not any the team's good. Job, is it? No, absolutely. But then also, you know, the miscommunication in qualifying in Austria that meant he got a grid penalty that made his race harder than it needed to be. So I don't think Ferrari have absolutely executed as well as they could. But that that makes the title fight that more in, that bit more interesting, doesn't it? Both teams are pushing really hard off track, developing the cars really well, and they're making mistakes on the track because they're both putting each other under so much pressure. I find the the Mercedes Ferrari fight absolutely mega. The one thing that I have been disappointed by and this is going to be a weird thing to say given that the team was second in France and one in Austria. I've been really disappointed over the last three events to just see Red Bull fall away from both of them. And, you know, Max Verstappen is absolutely adamant that that car's still the best. It just looks like, as well as introducing those car updates, see, we've had 
uh, engine updates from all four ma- engine manufacturers now, and it looks like Mercedes and Ferrari have just pulled clear again of, of Renault. So Red Bull's hopes that they were going to going to close in and finally be able to challenge this season, it just looks as far away as ever. And it was particularly, it was the word Horner used, exposed at Silverstone. Verstappen said they were losing something like a second down the straight. Horner said uh, Ferrari's speed advantage was insane. And he he feels like they have the strongest engine now, and certainly in qualifying, the Ferrari is the strongest engine. And you can you can you can feel a certain sense of disappointment that Renault just seems to have plateaued a bit with with the development. There was so much positivity coming into the season, and they were going to find this with a, with the a Spec B, I think they call this current engine. It just doesn't really seem to be there, and we will have to see how things play out on different circuits. I think Silverstone Horner made this point too is probably going to expose the power deficit that much more because under the current regulations certain corners that used to be marginal or not flat have now become straightforward flat out blasts for all the cars and then the power deficit really shows up because you scrub speed through the corner and that means the engine revs die and if you've got more power you can pull through that corner faster and that's where Red Bull felt they were really suffering at Silverstone it was the same story last year exacerbated this year so maybe on on circuits that have more conventional straight line sections and corners they might close in and of course on race pace they are still in the mix we saw even at Silverstone they were able to get amongst the leading cars even if they weren't as relatively competitive as we have seen at other tracks the the strength of the Red Bull has always been obviously its ability through the corners so the other thing about that those corners that weren't flat that are now flat means that now they're not getting the advantage through their other cars as well so it's a, it's a double whammy I, I i also wonder are they are they running with the car more trimmed out as well because they're trying to buy back some of that lost straight line performance or are they losing some of their inherent cornering performance as well because they're running less downforce yeah there's an element of that horner said uh at silverstone they're running spa levels of downforce he called it which is quite trimmed out and of course mercedes and ferrari both bringing their engine updates and adding more power just means they can run more wing because they've got the power to push through the the drag it creates so yeah difficult puzzle for red bull and not one necessarily that's going to be immediately solved by moving to honda because as pierre gassi was pointing out after qualifying he feels their engine is probably down a second on their rivals and that's about the same estimate verstappen had for for the renault so a lot of work for honda to do to, to get Red Bull more in the fight on the, the power tracks next year. But yeah, certainly it was a shame that Red Bull wasn't able to be in that battle. Verstappen did manage to get some track position and run in third for a bit before he later on retired with a, the initially a break-by-wire problem. That caused gave a, gave it, caused it a good a go problem. defending from Raikkonen as well. Yeah, he did. He did, he did Around the outside at Loughfield, that was a nice nice move. But again, it, overall, it would, have been, it would have been fascinating to see how this race had played out without the safety cars, though. I think it could have been quite, quite good news for, for Bottas because they, he was already starting to reel and it just goes to show how much this year when we look back over the season I think it's going to be the safety cars and safety car decisions and strategy calls there's going to be a lot of points swinging one way or the other because of that which is what made this such a uh, such a good season the crash that set up this denouement for the race was Marcus Ericsson at Abbey the long fast turn one right hander where DRS was was allowed to be used he didn't shut the DRS as he planned to off he went. He wasn't the only driver to shunt there. So where do you stand on the wisdom of allowing the DRS to be used in that corner? I stand uh, w- with it as the same wisdom as allowing drivers to use full throttle wherever they want as well. It's down to the responsible use, isn't it? It's, drivers don't have to use DRS through that corner if they think that they're capable of doing it. If they think the car's capable of doing it, they can. One thing I would say is that uh, it exposed a couple of... Um, 
what's the best way to say this? Uh, what do we? How do we describe Bottas at Brooklands? Dozy. That was oh, Ed's word. Yeah. Yeah. A couple of dozy drivers this weekend. Grosjean in practice and Ericsson in the race because it was basically them not switching the DRS off soon enough into the corner. I mean, yes, it was stupid, but. In that regard, you know the DRS buttons are designed to be used in a straight line. That's that's the way they were configured on the on the steering wheel. So you know the, the DRS is there. The argument for not having it, I actually quite like it being available because it's a, a driver challenge and it, they can use it if they want. But it's there to be an overtaking aid. But it's of no use as an overtaking aid having it through that corner. But is there not an, an argument that it is it is going to close you up down that short? start finish straight however however well, much and most, you can use it again through turn most two most of them couldn't go through abbey in qualifying with it open on their own so if you're behind another car no but but, but you can close it for turn one like you you can still use it down that straight you can close it for turn one and then you can have it for for turn two i think it's just incremental well, gains isn't it well, yeah, even you, if it gets you if it, if it, even if it doesn't i didn't i don't buy the argument that and and neither does charlie whiting by the way don't buy the argument that it was that it was a success in terms of improving overtaking there. But who's to say it did? It wasn't getting drivers a tenth or two tenths closer to then use down the Wellington Strait. I think because of the uh, the turbulence behind, they, they couldn't follow as closely through that. I think, I, th- I think the FA probably underestimated how much of a challenge that corner was going to be with these cars, and it was. And they probably thought, yeah, we'll stick DRS in on that straight and turn one will just be an extension of the straight, a bit like COPS has become, and it'll be no problem. But actually it's much more marginal than that. And even turn two, I think, can be a little bit sketchy for some drivers there at the speeds they're going. And so it just turned into an unusual cornering challenge, exacerbated by having this leery amount of downforce taken away from the rear of the car. I don't have a problem with the spectacle of it. As Ed mentioned, it's a driver challenge and it did create some interesting moments and some big accidents. Not that we want not that we want to see them, but they did spice up the weekend and the race. It was great fun watching. I went up with Gary Anderson to watch there in uh, free practice one and you could see he obviously Verstappen went through straight away with that open sparks flying everywhere, which which was great. And you could see people experimenting with it. We saw Roman Grosjean crashing there. So it, it was, was a big it, talking it was interesting. Point. Yeah, yeah, it was I, a big I, talking about who could do it, how when you could do it, how long you could do it for, what fuel loads you could do it with. But there's another inconsistency for me, and that is a few years ago, the FAA banned the manual use of DRS in qualifying because it was too dangerous and people were pushing the limits too far in terms of when they opened it. And this just seemed like a a random return to that era in one place, which is inconsistent with the FIA's own safety rules. So I think it was probably a failed experiment on this occasion. Whiten said that he didn't think it had the effect that he wanted, but he also addressed that that claim that that was the reason they dropped it a few years ago and he said that that wasn't the case he said that it wasn't he, he said he never actually bought into the argument it was dangerous because as i uh, sort of what my logic as well like you know the drivers don't have to use the the, the, the drs if they if they or their car aren't capable of, of of opening it it's exactly the same as braking too late or applying the throttle too early or or, or, or keeping it pinned um he his argument is that they 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 thought that the drs zone would be an improvement to the racing spectacle and the logic with drs in qualifying has always been you're allowed to use drs through the parts of the track where you can then go on to use it in the race i understand that i think i agree with that logic 
Um, it's just on this occasion, it didn't actually correlate when it, in in reality. It was a nice idea in, in in principle to try and have this overtaking zone there. It just didn't work in practice. Well, it, well, it did improve the spectacle, but just maybe not in the way they intended. No, it's, it's quite funny. It's just the you know for for consistency of what what they're trying to achieve. I don't mind them trying to trying to do things with it, and you know it, it creates an extra talking point, which is fine. But yeah. I don't think we'll see it back next year, though. Yeah, it, not uh, not in that part of the circuit. Yeah, I do agree with that. It, it clearly didn't didn't work for them. Well, well of course. Roman Grosjean, Ben, it wasn't the only mishap he had during the weekend. He crashed out of the race after contact with Carlos Sainz Jr. And unseen by many, he also clashed with Kevin Magnussen on the run into turn three. He was already kind of looking up the inside when Raikkonen and Hamilton had their had their issue. And that's, uh, that cost them a little bit. We saw in Austria how good he can be. We know how good Roman Grosjean can be. He's a driver that it's good to see doing well because he's so good when he's good. And he's and he's you know he's he's a somebody you don't begrudge success because he's he brings a lot to the to the paddock. But in the Haas team patience is starting to run out with with all these problems and there's yet another repair bill and another DNF. Well, it's got to be, hasn't it? He, he, it's so tricky. I feel like Haas will give Grosjean every chance to turn it around because let's not forget he's the driver that bought into that project before anybody else did. He's been there from the start. They feel a certain loyalty to him in the same way that he feels a loyalty to the team. And so they're not going to just cast him out for one, two, three, or even five incidents. But every time he has another incident, another bad crash, another big repair bill, it just wears the patience thin. You could see from Gunther Steiner's post-race comments. I mean, you spoke to him, Ed, didn't you? You can just see him saying, well, this has got to stop. He started using the word unacceptable and at some stage the limit will be reached. He says they're not there yet, but they're certainly edging closer to it, surely. Well, it has to be because you you need to make the most of the opportunities. And Haas has a quick car. They locked out the fourth row. They came away only with a couple of points, which is not not good enough. Austria, they had a cracking result, two-car finish uh, in the points, lots lots of points banked. But they've got a car that's capable of being well up in the Constructors' Championship from from where it is, and that has all sorts of implications financially. So they need their drivers to, to be delivering. And unfortunately, Grosjean's the one who's, who's struggling more much as it as we know how good he really should be. Well, they've basically undone that excellent result in Austria because in Austria, when Renault had a terrible race, that fourth and fifth put Haas suddenly you know, an outside chance of catching and beating Renault. And now all they've done is they've they've, they've ruined another chance to have a good haul here and given uh, Renault and Hulkenberg a free pass a free pass to sixth. So so not only, this is the problem, that midfield battle is unforgiving. And not only are they ruining their own race, they're just handing points left, right and centre to their rivals. Yeah, as Steiner said, last season they couldn't get in the points when they needed to. And this season they're in the points guaranteed every weekend. I mean, if they have a clean weekend, they should be seventh and eighth every weekend shouldn't they barring incidents further ahead and yet they're throwing away points now they're in strong positions and they're just handing points to their rivals and the longer that goes on the the sorer the test will be on Gunther Steiner and Gene Haas's patience yeah and also there are serious question marks about spares and that kind of thing we just had a triple yeah. header various teams are running low and you don't want to start running out of bits and pieces, and, and Haas is not a massive of... team; it's the smallest team on the grid, isn't it? Exactly. So. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's not a good situation to be in. Again, want to see Roman Grosjean doing well? He's just got to stop doing this. You know, someone was always going to crash in Friday practice with the DRS. It's just it happened to be 
Roman, unfortunately, he was trying to shut the DOS, but but failed because he because he hit the bumps. So that's a that's and of course that that magnifies the other incidents later, doesn't it? You know, you never want to have contact with your teammate, but it can happen. And at least they both did survive, and the FIA decreed it was and, a racing uh, incident. And Grosjean could have got a penalty yeah. for that, and it, but, it, but because of the situation, he didn't. It, and he, he did apologise, but it just it's just more pressure, isn't it, when you've had that big shunt before, and then he has his incident with Science later in the race, which again racing incident. He's right, on the right inside. The racing incident. Yeah, absolutely. Science, Grosjean science was the one who had to wobble, but Science squeezed him, and also. If you're going around the outside at cops, there's a live by the sword, die by the sword element to, to that kind of, of a move. Now, I can see Scott Mitchell getting very excited about the chance to talk about Sauber and uh, specifically Charles Leclerc. Now, Leclerc, Scott, didn't finish, but he Ooh. might well have beaten Nico Hulkenberg to sixth place and what we like to call Class B honours, but for being sent out of the pits with a rear wheel not properly attached so that was Scott was crying sixth six or seventh place that would have been his six points finish in seven races I think it would be in a marginal points car shall we say so I mean how impressed are you with what Leclerc is doing he's doing all right isn't he Q3 again not bad yeah pretty okay he's, he's all right isn't he this guy solid this guy is not in deep bleep is he he's doing okay it's getting to the point where you just sort of <sighs> I'm going to need to find synonyms, but I'll just have a thesaurus next to me every time Charles Leclerc goes out and qualifies. Just go, right, how great has this qualifying session been? This has been marvellous, tremendous. Magnifique. Exactly. Funnily enough, you get the same set of words by going back through Fernando Alonso's pronouncements after qualifying in races over the past 18 months. (laughs) Best qualifying ever. Miracle race. For me this weekend, the, the, the big moment for me was there was a point in Q1 just before I think Alonso went out and improved where I think Leclerc's first, I can't remember if it was his first or his second run in Q1. He basically put himself four temps clear in that best of the rest fight. And I think he was briefly ahead of Ricardo because Ricardo hadn't done a mega first run. And I just looked and thought, he is the same distance ahead, same time ahead of the rest of the midfield group as that as, as covers the entire rest of the midfield group. You think this yeah. guy is just not phased. The the for me the single single most impressive thing that he he is doing is just able to go out first flying lap absolutely nails it. it and it's the complete opposite of what his much more experienced teammate Ericsson can't do. Ericsson can be can live with Leclerc through practice a tenth or two off of him. Then when it comes to the crunch in qualifying, it's the guy that hasn't got the experience that just goes out, gets the job done, just bangs in absolute I mean if if in to, to borrow a bit of brilliant social media football parlance, he's div- delivering absolute fronkers of a qualifying lap every single time, isn't he? Yeah, I mean I think you're in the point now where Leclerc, his rookie season, if it carries on this trajectory, you're in the realms of one of the great rookie seasons I think potentially it's a stronger rookie season than Verstappen's was I think it probably is actually certainly in qualifying Verstappen took half a season Mm. two-thirds of a season to get on top of qualifying yeah great races Um, yeah Leclerc looks special and the paddock is noticing as well when you have quiet conversations with other team bosses everyone's looking at him and everyone's expecting to see him in a Ferrari sooner rather than later. And they're get, we're going to need to see him in a Ferrari sooner rather than later as well, because otherwise other teams are going to be sniffing around him. And the really great thing is that it's not just he's good here and then he has a off weekend. And Sometimes you get drivers like that. It's like, oh, that's good. And then I always look for them to kind of join those dots of performance as the experience builds. But Leclerc, he had the first few races to to feed his way in. He had the race, I forget which one it was, where he tried to call a strategy, got it completely wrong, realised that was quite a bad idea. It was Bahrain. Bahrain, I know, Scott, you did a piece with him where he talked about how he'd kind of 
with the team modified the way the car was being set up to be able to get more out of himself in the car. And it, it's just it like was Baku, wasn't it's it? Ju- it's just like he's learning all of those lessons incredibly quickly. Many drivers, even very good ones, can take quite a few seasons to learn them. Whereas he seems to be exposed once to something. It's like, right, okay, I've got that, I've got that, I've got that. And well, it's interesting you make the point about the qualifying performances because we saw with Lance Stroll last season in his rookie season, great starts to races, which still happen. He scored points in a marginal points car sometimes, but qualifying he just could not nail. Getting that, that last bit out of the, the new Pirelli tyres can be so challenging and Leclerc's doing it consistently already and when we're only just halfway into the season, which is quite incredible. I find it just amazing how he kicks on. You, you mentioned just he, he does something it's not just a dip it's, it's not even that he maintains it he just finds something to improve on every time like this on this occasion what what was very impressive in the race was obviously he got into he got into q3 again and i asked him on on saturday he said okay well it's your second time you've made it into q3 so it's going to be your second experience starting the race on those on your on your qualifying ties instead of having free choice so what are you going to learn he goes oh we've already gone over what happened well, like how we approached france and what i did in the opening lap in france so there'll be a few things and then come Sunday afternoon, he, he picks his way. I mean, okay, he got jumped by Hulkenberg, didn't he, in Hulkenberg's mega opening lap, but he picked his way through that mad, madness on the on the opening lap, settled into the position, and as you say, he was looking really strong. It's just, I, it, I, I try not to get caught up in the hype, genuinely. But Magnifique. It's, it's, just, well, it's, it's just really difficult not to just look at him and just go, he's just being bloody brilliant this season. Th- there is no hype, because hype indicates there's something not under it, but it, this is just objective evaluation of what of what this guy's quality, doing. isn't it? That's he, the thing. He had a fantastic rise up the ranks, really impressive uh, in winning uh, the F2 title. And he's just delivering weekend after weekend after weekend now. It's 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 great to see. And uh, it's also good to see Sauber coming on strong as well. I think Leclerc is benefiting from the fact that Sauber's a much better proposition than it was. The funding's there. They've got proper Ferrari engines that are working properly. Everything even, about that team has got momentum behind it now. They're a proper midfield outfit, aren't they? And I think it's Leclerc's even a team that some that. reasonably well-respected drivers are now looking at and thinking, oh, if I need somewhere to go, that could be interesting. And they're making the most of those facilities that were always talked about recently in the darker years in terms of funding. So, yeah, great stuff. And you know, Fred Vasseur, the team principal, says that Leclerc is one of the best, if not the best, he's ever worked with. So both are reaping... The, the benefits of this enhanced season for Sauber, I think. And you know a driver who needs absolutely doesn't absolutely uh, you know a driver who absolutely doesn't need to be told how good Sauber is for rookie drivers. That's Kimi Raikkonen. And obviously, unfortunately, <laughs> what worked so well for him what seventeen years ago is about to come back and bite him in the backside. Yeah, I think realistically, they've got to get him in a Ferrari for next year. I don't think there's any any alternative to it unless they want to try and park. There's no, there's no point in not putting him in if you're good enough. You're old enough, you're experienced enough, and he is ready to do a very good job in a in a top team. Now, Ben, there are various incidents in the race. One that was dealt with after the race was Pierre Gasly versus Sergio Perez. Gasly took tenth place. Perez took tenth place after the race, and the, and the final point for the uh, for, for the incident where Gasly was too aggressive, a uh, bit of contact, crowded Perez off the track. It was easy He's, to miss, wasn't it? In well, the exactly. Yeah, it was, it was kind of a footnote, but. Gasly called the penalty nonsense. He was uh, he was pretty unimpressed. Is he right? It's really difficult to answer this one. I had a look at it in detail. Initially, you watch the move back and you think, yeah, actually, that 
he seems to have a point. Like, it just seems like they've both gone into the corner. Perez is squeezing him a bit in similar fashion to Science and Grosjean at Cops. And there's a bit of contact. And then they've raced side by side out of the corner through the last corner. Like, great stuff. I I think on a second viewing that there's one one moment that undermines Gasly's argument. And as they, they come into the left-hander at Vale, he just touches the curb on the inside and he just slides ever so slightly towards Perez and that creates the contact. I think, Which, of course, creates the opportunity for the pass to be made because I think without that contact, there's every chance Perez stays ahead, which I think what the stewards will probably have looked at mate, and thought without that, that specific moment you've, you've hit upon happening. Yes. Maybe they don't swap positions. So yes, it's... maybe. And I think I, I think they still would have if if Gasly hadn't had that slide. I think they would have still gone through that corner side by side, and they still would have had that race to the line. It would have been slightly more in Perez's favour because he wouldn't have had to cut the inside of the second part of the corner, the right hander, and that, so that defined it really. I think is a shame in the sense that you know it was a good bit of battling, and obviously Gasly's going to be upset because he's lost tenth place that he's literally nabbed on the final lap, but. It's that one small moment of loss of control. As a steward, you have to you have to penalise that if it's affected the result, and it and it did do. So it's a shame, but um, yeah, that one piece of driving not not really a mistake, just unfortunate in the circumstances that undermines Gassi's argument. That it's ridiculous, I think. I also really dislike it when people make that argument of. Oh well, it's just going to discourage us from racing. This is just nonsense. Because okay, if you're going to have, if there's a genuine fifty-fifty incident that results in contact that has no lasting effect, it shouldn't be punished. I agree with that because that's just racing. In this instance, the only reason he took that place was because there was contact. It's the only reason he held that place. And you can't, well, especially when it is the difference between someone scoring a point and someone not scoring a point, you can't keep it. And it is nonsense for him to turn around and say that that that. Yeah, as you say, that it's ridiculous and it's going to discourage racing because it's not really what racing's about. No, and it, and if uh, if they'd come through that that moment and Perez had stayed ahead because it was very close on the run to the line, they, you can see them cr- crossing the line within milliseconds of each other. If Perez had stayed ahead, there would have been no penalty, even if the contact had been the same. So it, in that in that situation, you ha- it's the effect of what Gasly's done that has been penalised. It's not really the contact in itself that that their stewards have a problem with uh, i have just thought of something that's made me marginally question my own statement um which is in your opinion how different is that to the fact that verstappen used contact to win the austrian grand prix effectively the thing was freikenham was already wide at that point so it's a slightly different situation i would say in that perez was pushed wide because he was the yeah, contact to make room for the pass, whereas Raikkonen and slid wide, opened the gap for Verstappen, who filled it, and then Raikkonen's trying to come back across. Yeah, at so which point there's some contact. So it's a it's a different chronology, I think, that dictates whether uh, the the contact is um, key to the outcome. And also from what from what Gasly said, if we can, you know, he was in the stewards' room with Perez. He, I think, suggested that Perez was quite forceful in his the case he made about it. So. You know, Perez wasn't willing to let this one go. I think well, you would be, wouldn't I, you? Because you've lost a point. Well, exactly. Yeah, th- back. And Force India need, needs those points. But also, when we come back to drivers saying that they want more more lenience or fewer penalties or whatever, you know, well, when you get people like that arguing, you know, next time Perez complains when the shoe's on the other foot and he's the one who has the little incident and nudges someone wide and he'll be saying, oh, this penalty's ridiculous. It's like, well, 
when it was the other way around. You know, it's the usual thing. Everyone wants everyone wants leniency and less penalties when they're the when they're the offenders. Everyone wants really harsh penalties when they're the ones uh, sinned against, as it were. And that's uh, yeah, that's, that's why you need to listen to drivers less because ultimately they're always going to have a vested interest and they will change the rules and the situation to suit their own agenda, won't they? So ultimately you can all, you always have... You don't even take what they say with a pinch of salt. You walk in with a bloody cup full, don't you? Yeah. It, was, it was a great try from Gasly. I think that's the thing that's really annoyed him, that he was so close to pulling it off and it's just a tiny, tiny misjudgment or a tiny extra squeeze onto the curb that's cost him. And I think, as Scott, you said... If Gasly's in that situation in the German Grand Prix and there's a tenth place up for grabs right near the end, he's going to he's still going to attack. He's not going to think, oh well, because of that, I'm I won't race that's, anymore. That's not, how, that's not how drivers work. But it's uh, yeah, he'll he'll learn from that probably how to um, how to just skirt the line rather than just uh, inching over it as as he did there. Well, Formula One's triple header has certainly brought us a remarkable series of swings in the championship. The way things have gone looks totally different to how it was a few races ago. We had engine upgrades from Mercedes, aero upgrades from Mercedes, and Ferrari hits back. It's it's really been a fantastic championship. People seen. hitting and each other. People hitting each other, things to talk about, arguments, conspiracy theories. There's always conspiracy theories, usually usually nonsense. So, yeah, it's great to, that we've had... So, that if, if we'd had three really flat races... In the triple header, I think people would have started to lose interest. But the fact that the races have all been storied and interesting and things have happened, it's, uh, it's good news for Formula 1. And uh, long may it continue. We've got Germany and Hungary back-to-back coming up uh, before the August break. So hopefully two more exciting races. So thanks very much to Ben Anderson and to Scott Mitchell. And thanks from me, your host, Ed Straw. Obviously, in the build-up to the, the German Grand Prix, remember to check out autosport.com. We've also still got all the fallout from the... British Grand Prix uh, being worked through on there. There's all manner of uh, wars of words and so on and so forth going on. Our plus subscriber area where you can read in-depth features on all sorts of areas of motorsports and also disagree with my driver ratings, which is always a, a fun thing. Ben Anderson, who did the driver ratings most of last year, obviously regularly disagrees with my ratings, just as I used to used to do when uh, when, when he was doing it. Uh, so yeah, it's 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 one of the fun fun sports of Autosport arguing about uh, about driver ratings. Also check out Autosport magazine out every Thursday. British Grand Prix special will be on the shelves and sister titles F1 Racing and Motorsport.com. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back soon with another Autosport podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com forward slash Trilo Music.
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. The Just Because deal. Hey, oh, what's this? Breakfast from Mickey D's. From me? Yep. Why? Because it's morning and you like McDonald's. Let's eat while it's hot. There's a deal for every act of kindness at McDonald's. You don't need a reason when the one and only hot and melty sausage McMuffin with egg is just $2.50. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.